Welcome to the Overboard Show. This is Antonio from No Marks Allowed, and let's get straight into it. As you can see, Kenny Omega, the cleaner, is back. And what better way to come back than him be the Young Bucks partner in the trios tournament? Because the Young Bucks was down bad. Bobby Fish and Cal O'Reilly, for some reason, they couldn't make it. And Adam Cole couldn't make it due to injuries or whatnot. And they didn't have a partner going into this trios tournament. And, you know, Adam Cole and the Undisputed Era tried to do their best to make the Young Bucks not compete. And Hangman came in as a good friend and helped the Young Bucks. Even though he hasn't been with the Elite for a while, he's been with um, the Dark Order. The Young Bucks extended their hand to Hangman Page and asked them to come along and join them for the trios match. And Hangman's a solo competitor. He has AEW World title aspirations still. He's not trying to be part of this trio thing with the Young Bucks. So he said, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to cheer on the Dark Order. So we all was wondering who the Young Bucks partner was going to be. But we only had two choices, really. Because the only person that fucked with the Young Bucks and AEW is Brand Cutler and Kenny Omega. Because after that, it's no elite, really. Now, Jay White fucks with him, but Jay White, I mean, he's the New Japan champion. He's not giving that up or taking time off New Japan to be the trios champion. Hell no. So it had to be Kenny Omega. And something was up with Kenny Omega. He wasn't 100%, but he was still healthy enough to wrestle. He had this spandex shirt on the whole match, with really, which was really weird. I mean, I don't know if it's some odd video thing, game thing you guys let me know. But Kenny Omega did look kind of rusty. Uh, Taz was telling him to be careful because when he wanted to do the high spots, they really didn't want to do it. But then Dragon Lee did an awesome high spot when he did the um, sunset flip over the ring while Kenny was, you know, standing on the rail. That was one of the best spots in the match. But Kenny Omega was still able to get the V-trigger in and the one ring angel. And just because Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks are together... This trios tournament is not a lot, man. We got the best friends who are a great tag team. They went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Proud and Powerful when they was with, you know, um, Jericho's crew. Uh, then we have the House of Black, Buddy Murphy, um, Brody Lee. I mean, I'm sorry. Rest in peace, Brody Lee. Brody King and Malachi Black. And the problems with the Young Bucks had against Keith Lee and, yo, when Keith Lee and them beat the Bucks for the title, it was Keith Lee and Will Hobbs' power and strength. And that's what Brody King brings to the House of Black, that X Factor, that powerful, um, you know, explosiveness. The same moves that Keith Lee does with the power and the high spots and the speed and agility, Brody King brings that to the table, as you've seen him destroy Darby, but Darby got the win in the coffin match, but House of Black, Buddy Murphy, Malachi Black, and um, Brody King, they gotta be the on-on favorite, I mean, on paper. I mean, you know, the Young Bucks and Kenny are, like, ranked number one as far as best tag teams in the world and best single wrestlers in the world, but they're not 100%. You see Undisputed Area attack Matt and Nick and try to break Matt's leg. So Kenny Omega's coming off a knee injury. That's nothing to play with when Kenny gets so much torque on his knees for the B-trigger. Then you got Will Ospreay from Aussie Open. Will Ospreay has been talking cash shit about Kenny Omega. 
that's been ridiculous. I mean, I can feel the heat right now coming from the oven. If they get into a match, Aussie Open and the Elite, that's going to be crazy. And I wish Kenny Omega was 100% so he could take them chances. Maybe he'll wrestle with his shirt off next time because this, this is kind of weird. Did he have shoulder and knee issues? But he had that tight suppression shirt on with wrestling pants. So, you know, I feel like uh, this tournament is going to be great. And uh, it's good to see Kenny Omega back. It's good to see Daniel Bryan back. It's good to see people being healthy again. And right before All Out, it couldn't be at a better time. been tearing AEW apart the last few weeks and we heard everything from Tony Khan is really getting on people's nerves the booking is not good Tony Khan is trying to book everything he's not letting anyone else get input and I don't know how much truth to that that it is I can't see Tony Khan booking everything on Rampage Dynamite AEW Dark and Dark Elevation like why would he care like the way he Friday Night Rampages, it just seems like anybody's putting that shit together. Because if Tony Khan is booking it, he's really not really putting much thought into it. You see what I'm saying? And they have to fix Rampage. Rampage can't be Dark Elevation. Because that's what it's becoming. And, you know, if the ratings continue to slip... Here's the thing about the media. The ratings will always slip according to them. But to these networks, if they're getting advertising dollars, more advertising dollars than what they was putting on before, AEW is fine. TNT, if they didn't have AEW Dynamite or AEW Rampage, it would probably be an old-ass Star Wars movie or a RoboCop movie with commercials, with bullshit commercials that no one wants to pay for. So AEW is fine. But I can understand the fans' frustration. They're frustrating because some of the moves that Tony Khan made and booking was some bullshit, like putting the titles on the Young Bucks. After you see the Usos dominate, then you see an FTR dominate with multiple tag team titles from New Japan, Ring of Honor, and AAA. And then you got the Young Bucks win the title, and a lot of people love the Young Bucks. And then they lose it a week or two later against Keith Lee and Swerve. And fans are hating the fact that Keith Lee is a, a tag team champion. They want fucking Keith Lee to be in solo matches. They don't want him carrying Swerve Strickland. You see what I'm saying? So that's one mistake that AEW did was putting the belts on Keith Lee and Swerve. Why, why, why can't the Young Bucks have the trios championship and the tag team championships? You see the Usos have the Raw and SmackDown titles. I know you probably don't want to copy booking off WWE or make it seem like you're copying the booking off WWE. But WWE copied job booking because y'all had the elite go on that run and all of a sudden the Usos, who was a forgotten about tag team, gets together with Roman and they run have the bloodline and they've been running ever since. So that's one of the things that Tony Khan is doing wrong when it comes to booking. And now CM Punk is talking shit, talking, talking about he'll never job the hangman. And that's when shit gets personal and that's where you can get a lot of heat. You shouldn't say things like that. You'll never lose the hangman. You see what I'm saying? That's just too industry. Like, 
that's saying like you're not a team player. Like you, you see what I'm saying? Like, what if Hangman would say, "Well, I'll whoop your ass in real life." That's when people get really upset when somebody feels like they're not good enough to beat them. And now we got Meltzer saying things like CM Punk was about to quit, and then John Moxley coming out saying he was upset saying that he wasn't even the best John at his last company and he was the worst person at, in the shield. And they're trying to say that that was a pipe bomb promo and that was unscripted. And then John Moxley, you know, came out like it was a shoot. I was like, fuck this. I'm going to fight CM Punk now. So it's like now CM Punk and uh, John Moxley are going to wrestle in Cleveland on this week's Dynamite, which is crazy because I feel like the media is saying, well, All Out is not building any good matches from All Out. Well, you pretty, if you're smart and you're looking at what's going on, you probably really already know what's going to happen at All Out. It's not, not like WWE where everything is predictable when you have like eight weeks of matches or seven matches leading up to the pay-per-view match. It's not like that in AEW. We're going to have the trios champion. We're going to have a tag team championship match. We're going to have an AEW heavyweight title match. You see what I'm saying? It's all set up to be fine. Jay Cargill is going to go against Athena. And they already announced Thunder Rosa versus Tony Storm. So the booking is going to be fine. Whether we get Aussie Open versus uh, House of Black and the Trio Championship, that'll be good. Now, if our monkey wrench gets thrown in there and best friends pull up the upset and we got best friends against any of those guys at All Out, a lot of people might be upset, even though best friends are over. But this CM Punk match, they're trying to say CM Punk is not 100%. Um, maybe he... Um, that's why they're rushing this match on Wednesday, because he's nowhere near 100%. But this might lead to something special. So CM Punk drops the title to Moxley on Wednesday because he needs to recover. We can have a triple threat and all out. You see Daniel Bryan got attacked by Chris Jericho. Then you see uh, Moxley if he wins against uh, Punk. We got a triple threat with CM Punk Daniel Bryan and John Moxley at All Out. That would be so sick. We just seen Jericho against John Moxley as the Lionheart. Now, would he come as the Lionheart, the paymaker, or the sports entertainer at All Out? We don't know. But maybe this is a blessing in disguise if CM Punk needs to isn't as healthy as we thought he uh we thought he was. Because media is saying that. You know, he's nowhere near 100%, but they thought he was. Then why would you bring him out? I can see why you would bring him out, just to get fans, you know, hyped about him coming up. But if he's not um, 100%, which I don't think, maybe they just want to give Cleveland some dope shit because WWE's been killing it on TV. SmackDown's been killing it, and Raw's been killing it. Rampage's been lackluster. Maybe AEW wants to apologize to fans and put on good cards because... Everybody says Tony's being hard to work with. I mean, he's booking this shit to the ground. But I've been enjoying the matches. I mean, he did make some booking mistakes, but the episodes of Dynamite's been good because you see different wrestlers. Like, I've heard WrestleMania call 
the big tall guy that's with um, Sanjay Dett or whoever. I don't know. But the guy that's with Jay Lethal, I forgot his name. He's a huge Indian guy. Called him a, you know, bootleg version or a broke version of the great Kali. That dude looks 100% times more athletic and better than the great Kali as far as a professional wrestler. Great Kali looked just weird. He just looked like he was a big motherfucker that didn't do shit. This dude from Ring of Honor that's with Jay Lethal. I mean, they saying Wardlow should be doing something with some... Oh, this will get a pop. Wardlow putting that big motherfucker up and giving him the F5. That will work in New Japan, GCW, WWE, AEW, any promotion. That's simple right there. And then, you know, Jake Lethal is getting run on both. AEW and Ring of Honor. Uh, Claudio Castillo, um, he's getting run on Ring of Honor. So you can't always look at media... And listen to media saying that, you know, the ratings are going down. The ratings can go down for a number of reasons. It's not because the show isn't good. Because WWE's ratings, they're always going to have more total viewers than, you know, AEW. Because the show is old. Despite being it, if it's garbage, more people don't watch the WWE shows because they've been out 25, 40 years. So if you're a show that's only been out for three years like AEW, you could win the demo. But you might not win the total views. You see what I'm saying? So I don't believe the media. I mean, when WWE's ratings was bad, their shows was bad. The fans were saying it was bullshit. WWE fans and people that watch everything were saying the bullshit. It seems like people aren't saying that AEW shows are bad. They're just making, they just don't, they just don't understand some of Tony's booking decisions. Because you can have bad booking, but the in-ring matches is good. Like booking Keith Lee and Swerve, as a tag team champions was really pissed the fans off. I mean, it's cool to have black tag team champions, but you attach Keith Lee and Swerve together. So if Swerve loses, Keith Lee loses. Because I know Keith Lee is not going to get pimped if they lose. You see what I'm saying? He's bigger than everyone that you have. Who can pin fucking Keith Lee in a tag team division? No one. So the fans was upset that, you know, even when Tony Khan brought in Keith Lee and Swerve, Tony Khan was like, you can't find nothing to do with Keith Lee and Swerve? So he brought them together and intertwined them together, which was a big mistake. Because people want to see Keith Lee go against Brody King, Alistair Black. They want to see him go against Wardlow. They want to see him against Kenny Omega. They don't want to see him in a tag team match with, you know, proud and powerful. You, you see what I'm saying? Real Hobbs and Ricky Starks before they broke up. They don't want to see him against best friends. You see what I'm saying? They don't want to see him against Aussie Open. They want Keith Lee to bang. So, and the way they booking the Young Bucks, I feel like the Young Bucks deserve more than one title. If you let an FTR, them police-looking motherfuckers get all them titles, man, that shit is ridiculous. They look like a poor man's Obi and Arn Anderson. You see what I'm saying? Why, why is they going over the world and winning titles and the Bucks aren't? That's crazy. So, like, the Bucks is just unselfish. They want to make sure everybody eat. That's why I think they might be going to WWE in 2024 to set the tone. But don't believe the media when when they say, you know, uh, AEW is falling off and they're talking all this bad shit about AEW saying the locker room is out of control. It probably is. I mean, when you work with so many people and different personalities... Once you get past that honeymoon stage, which was the first two years, you're going to have people clash. You're going to have people say things like that. I remember the Twitter beef between Britt Baker 
Jay Cargill and Tay Conte got out of hand, but we don't know if that was a work just to sell matches or it was really heat between those three because they was making fun of, you know, Britt Baker's ass in her face. You know what I mean? Why? Because Britt said all she do is show her ass and not wrestle. And Tay Conte took offense to that saying, I'm a great wrestler with a nice ass. So don't forget about that. So, I mean... We never know, but AEW isn't going nowhere, but I think Tony Khan did make some booking mistakes. Did Chris Jericho solidify himself as a GOAT in a loss? We've seen Jericho do everything from being the inner circle from being, you know, the paymaker, back to the lion heart at 48, 49, whatever he is, almost 50 years old, he just knows how to reinvent himself. And him being 46, 47, to be able to hang with Adam Hangman Page and also defeat Adam Hangman Page in a great match, is just solidifying himself as a GOAT. Now, People might say the GOAT changes over time, and it does. At one point in time, Hulk Hogan was the GOAT for a very long time. His matches are more memorable than most matches we see today without the high spots, just the eruption of the crowd, the build-up. You see what I'm saying? The fact that a lot of people didn't know wrestling was a work in his prime. A lot of people thought it was, you know, just like the NBA NFL and baseball. No one knew that it was a work back then. Then you had The Rock. Like his promos and his most electrifying elbow, he had a run as the GOAT. Then you had Stone Cold in the Attitude Era. I'm blocking this out. Let me take this down. And then you had The Undertaker, who just kept WrestleMania alive. Even when WrestleMania's was lackluster and people said WrestleMania was just a name. It was the Undertaker that kept it alive. Who was the unbeat the streak? Then the Undertaker keeping Shawn Michaels in line when he was trying to run shit with the click. When Shawn Michaels didn't want to drop the title to Stone Cold, it was, you know, the Undertaker, you know, checking Shawn Michaels like, you better do what you got to do because I'm going to fuck you up, you know, in all words without saying that. So Undertaker kept, you know, the uh, click in line. You see what I'm saying? So they all got arguments of the GOAT. But Chris Jericho is the GOAT. Because just like at one point in time, Joe Montana was considered the GOAT. Well, now it's Tom Brady. Tom Brady surpassed, you know, he surpassed Joe Montana as the GOAT. And, you know, Jericho surpassed all four of these guys as the GOAT for the simple fact he's still winning championships. He's still having high-caliber matches. They say The Rock might have a tag team match because he got injured his last two times back. Jericho just did a match in the past two years, did a death match with Nick Gage, then did a barbed wire match with Eddie Kingston, then he does this match with... John fucking Moxley as a lion heart. Like this motherfucker, like Bootsy said, the ball head and the bob about Kobe Bryant. I likes Kobe Bryant over Jericho. I can be like Jericho the blonde in the belly. Because when he was the blonde, he was the lion heart. Then he was the first ever, first ever undisputed WWE WWF champion. 
He beat Stone Cold and The Rock to get there. That's GOAT status. And then with the belly, he was the pain maker. Fucking up Kenny Omega. The Young Bucks had to break it up and act like they was going to hit their friend with a bat. They respect Jericho's OG so much after he busted Kenny Omega open. After his match, the Young Bucks didn't want to hit him with the bat because of the respect they had for him. Then, with the belly, he was Nick fucking Gage. With the belly, this nigga is Nick Gage. He's fucking Bruiser Brody. He's fucking John Moxley. Like, Eddie Kingston. He's all that. He's a sports fucking entertainer. He's a rock star. Chris Jericho will go down as a, the greatest wrestler of all time. If he keeps doing this shit. Like, he could have went to acting and did reality shows. When he left the WWE, he didn't look for a movie, movie studio. He looked for the thing that he loved most, professional wrestling. And he gave it his heart. No interference from the inner circle at all in this match. He wanted to catch the fade. And his matches being at 58 is better than Roman Reigns' main event matches. Like, the main event against uh, Roman Reigns and Brock was so garbage at WrestleMania 38. They had to put a stipulation in where they had to be a last man standing. And then you had five, you had three other people interfering in that match. But this was mano a mano and Jericho tapped out. And it's like, he almost beat John Moxley. So I feel like with a loss, Jericho still solidified himself as a GOAT. When Brady won that seventh Super Bowl, it put them up there with Michael Jordan and he it put it put Brady up there past LeBron James. Michael Jordan is the greatest athlete of all time. Tom Brady is second because what your mind can't, what your body can't do, your mind can. And Tom Brady is still throwing bullets at a, on a football field at forty three. What was Deion Sanders doing at thirty seven? What was Jerry Rice doing at forty? I don't think they was doing what Brady was doing. Brady's been playing for championships since he's been there, and he plays the. The hardest position and the most physical and dangerous position. When you're a quarterback, you can have a 355-pound defensive tackle hit you if you don't get the ball out in two seconds or less. If you don't get a ball in two seconds or less, you can have a 235 to a 265-person that's running a 4-3 hit you and slam you on your head. Then you can have the safety hit you. Then you can have a corner on a corner blitz hit you all if you don't make the right decision in two seconds. And that's what Brady's been doing for 20 years in the NFL. So if Michael Jordan would have never lost the finals, Brady would be the greatest athlete of all time. He doesn't lose. So he lost three Super Bowls. He made it up by winning three more. So that's what Jericho did. Like, Jericho is so fucking awesome. So I compared Jericho as being wrestling's Tom Brady. Your new hero, your party host, and most importantly, the most charismatic showman to ever enter your living rooms via a television screen. And for those of you who do know me, well, all hail the Ayatollah of Rock and Roller! Got a nice haircut, I can say that! Now when you think of the new millennium, you think of an event so gigantic that it changes the course of history. You think of a dawning of a new era. In this case, 
the dawning of a new era in the WWF. The Rock is not impressed. Thank you. Thank you. Jericho's got a lot of... Chris Jericho has come to save the WWF. Oh, from what? So you're going to get your pink slip. Now let's go over the facts. Television ratings, downward spiral. Who's he Pay-per-view buy rates, plummeting. Mainstream acceptance, non-existent. And reactions of the live crowds, complete and utter silence. And I know why you're silent. You're silent because you're embarrassed to be here. What? And quite honestly, I'm embarrassed for you. And the reason why you're embarrassed is because of the steady stream of uninteresting, untalented, mediocre sports entertainers. After three boring minutes, The Rock says, know your role and shut your mouth! I second that. How dare you, little jabroni, come on The Rock Show and not even have the class to introduce yourself? What is your name? I told you! It doesn't matter what your name is! Oh, no. got you. That way. The Rock says you talk about your Y2J plan well, The Rock has a little plan of his own, and it's called the KY Jelly Plan. Oh, no. Which... <laughs> you know what that is, JR? Yeah. You do? Which means The Rock is gonna lube his size 13 boot real good, turn that bitch sideways, oh. and stick it straight up. You can City and Effie, the one that they call Pause Daddy. Well, the fans call him Daddy. I'm not calling him that. I'll call him Effie. Wrestling World and GCW made Effie the hardest gay nigga in the world since Omar from The Wire. Like, Effie's been crushing it. And with his partner, uh, Alley Catch Bussy, Bussy? Is it put Bussy? Yeah. She had, you know, Effie's back. So you got Moxley in the ring, Effie on the other side. Then you got Allie at ringside. 
like Bernie Mac said, it smelled like Badussi. Booty, dick, and pussy in that ring. <laughs> but this was a great match. And John Moxley would do anything to fucking win. I don't, just like Birdie said about, just like uh, Boogaloo, Marlon Reigns said about Tupac, he would do anything to win. He said Birdie would do anything to win. I think he gets off on it. Does Moxley get off at winning? Because he even played Effie's game and kissed Effie on the cheek. Now, he ain't go full lip lock like fucking AJ Gray did with Tony Juice, but he kissed him on the chin like a mafia guy like the Sopranos. You know what I'm saying? And this was a great match. Effie lives, but Effie didn't win. But Effie gave it his all. I mean, Moxley was dominating him for a long time in this match. And these YouTube highlights is killing me because they always go to a fucking break. But yeah, this was a great match. I thought Effie didn't stand a chance against John Moxley. I thought if anyone besides Nick Gage was going to beat John Moxley for the GCW title, I thought it was going to be Rich Homie Juice because the timing would have been right because, you know, that was when the Blackpool Combat Club just started. Maybe they were going to, you know, have Moxley drop the belt to AJ and let, you know, John Moxley, you know, go be full-time with AEW. But hell the fuck no. Shit, Brett Lauderdale was like, you are a moneymaker. I don't give a fuck if you wrestle once every three months. You are champion. And um, Alley Cat got involved in this match. Hit Moxley with a low blow. But other than that, this was a great match. I thought Effie was going to get blown out, like I said before. But Effie, I think the match turned into Effie's favor when Alley Cat hit him with the low blow. But yeah, this was an awesome match. But yeah, let's get to Matt Cardonia, because you know he set the world on fire when he came to the Indies. And when he beat fucking Nick Gage, it was like a badass dream. Like he called himself the Deathmatch King. And can we blame him? He did beat the Deathmatch King. You know, Nick Gage. So he had his wedding vows. He redid his wedding vows at GCW. Now, Matt Cordonia has titles all around the world. He's also involved in Impact Wrestling. Why did he renew his vows there? Why did he come to the shadiest place on earth where nobody fucks and likes him at all with his family, his mom and his dad, to renew his vows with Chelsea Green? He came to GCW. And, you know, he had GCW people participate in the wedding and everything. Throw out flowers. Uh, Alley Catch gave him a gift. But then Nick Gage came out. And Nick Gage was like, fuck this shit. This dude hit his father in the head with a light tube. I think that was his father. I don't know if it was or not. But it was his family. I think it was his father. He hit him with the light tube. Beat the shit out of him. You know, spilled the cake and drinks all over Chelsea Green. Then got the pizza cutter and carved them up like something nasty. So, you know, that wedding was ruined. And I just like to um, say shout out to Nick Gage because that made the fans day. You coming and doing that just to stick it up. Matt Cardonia's ass and his family ass. But speaking of Nick Gage, John Moxley beat Nick Gage twice. You know, and... He said that he will give Nick Gage one more chance. And this is title versus career. 
Now, John Moxley loves winning more than anything. And John Moxley versus Nick Gage is just a bad matchup. I don't see how it happens unless the whole GCW roster helps Nick Gage win. Because all matches are really no disqualification. So, But just the fade, you give Moxley the weapons, you give Nick Gage the weapons. I'm going with Mox all day. Just because the different styles of wrestlers he's fought. He's fought in Kenny Omega, Daniel Bryan, Chris Jericho. Then you give him weapons. I remember when he went against AJ Gray at, at Joey Janela's spring break. He just made it into a fight and started pulling shit out. Because AJ Gray was too athletic for him. He said, I'm not going to play this hot spot game with you. Or this technical game with you. I'm going to fight you. And he started getting shit from under the ring and made it a fight. And um, so what better way... For Nick Gage to go out, then by losing a hardcore match to John Moxley, that would be a perfect way to go out in the ring. Not because his body is fucked up and he can't do it no more, but what a way to resurrect his career and make it go longer by beating John Moxley, the person no one in GCW could beat, and him winning that title from John Moxley. So shit is about to get real in GCW. What's that smell? What smell? It smell like Badussy, booty, dick, and pussy.
Triple H has taken over the reins of creative. Shawn Michaels, I think he's the vice president of talent operations or president, something like that. But one thing, well, Triple H's been doing extremely well. But one thing that hasn't changed is WWE's predictable booking and showing their hand too early. And letting the fans know what's going to happen before it needs to know what's going to happen. Like, we, everybody was saying, okay, I think Roman loses it at Clash at the Castle so Drew can get his big win in front of a crowd. Well, y'all said that in Tampa Bay when he went against Bobby Lashley, that Drew was going to win. But no way they was taking that ball, belt off Bobby Lashley as soon as he got it. So that's why he didn't lose to Drew McIntyre. But Drew McIntyre is going to lose at Clash at the Castle. Because no matter how good Drew looks in his promos or how Drew looked in his past few matches or how he looked last week on SmackDown, the writing is on the wall. Karrion Cross is going to interfere in that match and cost Drew the undisputed championship, the SmackDown heavyweight title and the Universal title, the WWE title and the Universal title. Like, it all happened a week or two. On um, Raw SmackDown, when Karrion Cross came back and attacked Drew McIntyre, and then the past week, Drew McIntyre is getting threats from Karrion Cross. Like, Karrion Cross, not to give away the pay per view, but Karrion Cross should be having promos against Roman Reigns. Like, Roman Reigns is the big man on campus. Why are you so concerned about Drew McIntyre? You see what I'm saying? So, Drew McIntyre. Ends up having a, another promo against Roman Reigns. And, you know, they come to words, have their words, go back and forth and everything. And then, then they end up attacking each other. And Roman gets the upper hand due to some interference. But then it seems like uh, Drew's paying a little possum because he ended up kicking Roman with a Claymore pick. And sent the crowd home in the uproar and happy. But the thing about the WWE, it's too late now not to bring Karrion Cross. See, they tried to be slick and not have Karrion Cross come and interfere. You see what I'm saying? But Clash at the Castle is two weeks from now. So now we're supposed to forget about Karrion Cross, little beef with, you know, Drew McIntyre. That's what they probably don't do. We probably ain't going to hear from Karrion Cross as far as anything with Drew McIntyre, um, you know, for the rest of these two weeks until Clash of the Castle because they don't want fans to think, oh, this is how it's going to end. But we already know that's how it's going to end. I'm the VC King. Just like I told you, Austin Ferry was going to have a role in Brock Lesnar losing the Roman Reigns when they start having Austin Ferry interject himself into Roman Reigns and Brock's conversations. Oh, this is predictable booking already. Austin Theory's going to interfere. And what did he do? He interfered. I think he even hit Brock with the briefcase or tried to hit him with the briefcase. I may stand corrected. I got to go back and watch that match. But one thing about the WWE fans that I like is they're not too picky. Like, they don't give a fuck if Roman Reigns is, you know, booked overbooked or he's squashing mid-carters and his reign isn't organic it's being forced down our throats and the WWE is right about their fans their marks you keep pushing a winner you know in front of them all of a sudden everybody 
that hates Roman will begin to like him because he's winning. You see what I'm saying? So they got the honorable Ooze, Sami Zayn, to add a little spice into it, even though it's been way too long. They haven't built the tag team up or a, a contender up that's on that roster to justify booting, beating the Usos. Like, they pushed the bloodline so far up and put them on the pedestal. It wouldn't make sense for the Street Profits to beat them. It wouldn't make sense for the Viking Raiders to beat them. It wouldn't make sense for Gable and Otis to beat them. It wouldn't make sense for... Um, do they have any more tag teams? But, like... So, right now... It would take somebody like Finn Balor and Damian Priest, somebody like that, a no-brainer, to beat the Usos. Sort of like how Keith Lee and Swerve had to beat the Young Bucks. But, yeah, this WWE thing is getting to the point where fans don't care if you overbook Roman and the Usos, as long as you give us something else that we like. Like bringing Dexter Loomis back, bringing Bailey and Sasha back. You give us that, fuck Roman. We know Roman's not a GOAT and his run is bullshit. You're overbooking him. But give us, you know, Finn Balor, Rhea Ripley, and Damian Priest in the edge angle. That's real good. Give us that. We can accept that. Give us, you know, Pat McAfee versus Baron Corbin. Let him go over. We will accept that. You see what I'm saying? But when Vince was under control, he didn't give nobody nothing. He gave us bullshit. Rick Boogs, Madcap Moss. Uh, the stupid shit with Elias and his twin brother, Ezekiel, and it wasn't Elias, but it was Elias. He just gave us bullshit. Triple H is going to give us what he can. You see what I'm saying? And um, that's the good thing about Triple H. He's going to give us um, the NXT people, integrate them with the main roster, getting their shot. Like you just seen uh, Ciampa come back, Dexter Loomis come back. And that's what we wanted to see in the first place. Like, it's no way Heavy Machinery with Otis should have made it to the main roster before the Undisputed Era did. Or, it's no reason uh, Heavy Machinery should have made it before the Viking Raiders did. You see what I'm saying? So, long as Vince and, um, I mean, long as Triple H give us something, a lot what we want, okay, we can't get Roman to lose. Okay, we can accept that. He, he probably won't lose until WrestleMania. He probably won't lose at all. He probably wreck everything and leave. Like his t-shirt say, and then go to the movies. You know what I mean? Roman will take a seat and be a part-timer before Roman loses that belt before WrestleMania. So don't get your hopes up. He is not losing that class of the castle. You see what I'm saying? And there was another thing that was funny. Um, now, was this Triple H burying Roman Reigns and Vince's run? Because Vince's run during the Roman era was bullshit. Like, listen to this promo that Drew McIntyre did um, about Roman Reigns' victory about Brock Lesnar. Now, was this a way that Triple H was burying Vince McMahon? It took you, your family, weapons, sacrificing the wise man to get the job done against Brock Lesnar. But Drew McIntyre, the man you're facing, walked into the main event of WrestleMania with Brock, and I beat him with my bare hands. Now you hear Drew saying when he main evented WrestleMania, I think that was 35. Uh, what was that WrestleMania that didn't have fans? Yeah, that was 35, I think. Yeah, uh, what was that? No. I went to WrestleMania 34, 35, I went, that was in the gym. 
Yeah, 36. He said when he made the event at WrestleMania 36, he didn't need no help in beating, you know, Roman Reigns. And he said when you beat Brock in the last man standing, you needed your cousins to interfere. He said he beat Brock Lesnar all by himself. So you hear Pat McAfee kissing ass, saying that, you know, doing what Vince tells him to do, calling Roman Reigns a, the GOAT and everything. And Drew just buried his whole title reign, because that's been Roman's whole title reign, 80% of the matches. I think he fought Brock head up at WrestleMania with no interference. The match was so forgettable. I had ringside seats, and I, and I, I don't think there was no in, interference with that. But then... Um, I also seen, um, I also seen them go head up against, uh, John Cena at SummerSlam. So those was two fades. Now, was the one when he wrestled Demon King Ben Baylor, was that the straight head up? But that would only be three matches out of a lot that Roman Reigns didn't get interference or help from the Usos. That was his whole reign. So now that Triple H is in charge of creative, was that his way of burying Vince? You see what I'm saying? Like to take a cheap shot at Vince's booking. This I'm I'm just curious of that because that was a funny promo. Like usually the wrestlers don't downplay, you know, another wrestler's title reign or his opponent that he's defeated. That's something us fans would do. But shout out to Drew McIntyre, even though he ain't about to win that Clash at the Castle.